church. We are here to praise, to let every, everything that has breath praise the Lord. So would you stand with us as we worship this morning? To give God words so that we can receive all glory. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly
Lord, amen. We praise the Lord in his sanctuary. We praise him in the heavens. We praise him for his deeds and we praise him for his excellent greatness. Who else would rocks cry out to
Yes, God, we come and we lift up a hallelujah to you. We bring you the praise and glory for you are a good, good God and you will never let us down. We're gonna declare that to you this morning. Let the King of the king of my heart be the shadow where i hide the ransom for my life oh he is my let's sing us out because you are good
must be magnified.
Welcome, everybody. Are you awake? We lost an hour last night, and uh, the first hour, you know, I I was a lot funnier than they gave me credit for, and uh, you know how it works around here. You laugh, you get to lunch sooner. You don't laugh, we're going to be here all day. (laughs) Hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I do this every week, just in case we have somebody who's new. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're online checking us out, we understand that the first place people go to check out a church is online, so we're glad that you're with us. Uh, online as well. If you're on a patio, we love you. So uh, thank you for joining us. We're just glad everybody's here together. Uh, As you might have noticed over the years, if you've known me for a little bit and I've I've been your pastor for a little while, um, I, you know, I'm wired a little differently than the rest of people. Uh, I, um, I'm rung a little differently. That's how we used to say when I was a kid in the hood. I'm just rung that way. You know, I'm just wired a little differently. I think the official term for this is like ADD or ADHD. I don't know which one. I don't know what they mean. I can't spell them. I just know that it complicates matters for my wife. And so, you know, she'll be like, what do you want to have for lunch? And I don't know what we want to have for lunch, but I can tell you by the end of this conversation, we have talked about 30 different places we could possibly go for lunch. And she's just thinking to herself, you know what? Just want to get food in my stomach. And uh, I'm just wired a little differently. Uh, that's just the way I roll. I, God made me this way. Uh, I study differently than most people study, I've learned over the years. Uh, I found when I was in college that the uh, worst place in the world for me to study would be where? The library is the worst place for a person with ADHD to study. And the reason is because it's so blasted quiet. It's too quiet to study in the library. I mean, it's just like crazy. You know, I can handle a million noises at one time, no problem. But if I hear one little ticking noise, it'll drive me batty. 
Uh, and so I would find, even when I was in college, I would go, okay, all right, you gotta force yourself to stay for half an hour. You're gonna be downstairs in the library, 30 minutes there. Then you'll move and go upstairs and be 30 minutes there. And then you'll go to the gazebo outside the library, 30 minutes there. Then you'll go to dinner and you'll have 30 minutes while you're eating. And then you can go finish it all off. You'll go to the, the, the baseball field in the stands and you get 30 minutes there. I could tell how far I got with my assignment based on where I was sitting. I literally could say, wow, I must have got pretty far. I got to the baseball field. So I got pretty far in my assignment. That's, that's just how it was. I needed movement. I needed this. Things need to change. Backgrounds need to change. Noises need to happen. The best place in the world for me to study is like Disneyland. Like I'd go into Disneyland. I could just imagine walking to Disneyland, pick a spot where all these people are walking and talking and pick a table and just sit there and type all day long. In fact, I would say this. If one of you guys would buy me a Disneyland, uh, you know, pass, you know, the messages would be better. I'm telling you, and if you would one-up it and get a Disneyland pass for my entire family. Okay. <laughs> I'm just rung differently. I'm wired a little differently. Uh, I, I listen to music whenever I study, whether I'm reading or writing. I find that if the music is faster, the beat is faster, I type faster. Like my fingers subconsciously feel obligated to catch up to the music. And so if I really want to get a lot done, I put music that's really bumpy and, and, and like moves really fast, and I type really fast. Just, I'm just telling you, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm a little different. Uh, I did find, I've never been able to sit in one chair. Imagine, they gave me an office. I can't sit in one chair and study for long periods of time. I have to move. I, think I, I have like five beaches I go to, five hotel lobbies I go to. I, I, all these, I just have to keep on moving. I'll, I'll do the intro here, then I'll walk over here, and I'll get the points over here, and then, I'll, and I just, you know, and then I'll read over there and, and put it all together. That's just how I am. And uh, I've never been able to sit in one place for like hours on end. But I have found recently that I can sit in one place, um, you know, and get a lot of studying done if I'm on a train. Like I take the Camarillo train, 810 train, leaves Camarillo and it ends up in Oceanside at 1210. Leave, go get a sandwich, come back because at 1257, the train in Oceanside is going to pick you up to come back to Camarillo by 457. I literally do that. I go down there, get a sandwich, and I come back. And I can study for like four hours that way and four hours the other way coming back. And I was like, why does this work? I've never been able to sit in one place all this, like, I don't understand why, how does this work? Well, I have my earphones on, you know, so I got the, the, the music going, nobody bothers you. Yeah, but I can have that in my office. Why does this work? And I figured it out. It's because every time you look up, you're in a different city. You look out the window, oh, there's Tustin. Oh, there's Irvine. Oh, look, we're in San Juan Capistrano. Isn't it a beautiful beach here at Dana Point? I mean, I, every time I look up, I can see that the, the changing backgrounds help me, and I'm able to get more done. When that, is anybody else like that? I know, I'm weird. I'm just wired differently. I'm, I'm rung differently. God made me this way. And my growth group was making fun of me the other week. Can you believe that? Horrible people. And they were making fun of me because they came, the topic came up that when you have ADD or ADHD, I don't know which one, um, if you drink soda, uh, caffeine does the opposite to you. It'll make you want to take a nap. And I went, oh my gosh, when I was in college, it'd be like midnight, and I would go to the, 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 the machine, and I'd get a Mountain Dew, ice-cold Mountain Dew, chug it, and boom, I'm asleep in 15 minutes. Like, gone, out. It's true, it happens. And they were laughing at me, at your pastor. That's what they did. And <laughs> I'm just wired a little differently. I'm just rung a little different, however you say it. Uh, God made me this way. I'm a little different. And at some point in life, you learn to embrace who you are and own who you are and make the best out of it rather than like lamenting and succumbing to negative self-talk in your mind. Like maybe there really is something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's the opposite problem. You can't do that either. But, but the, the, the point is you can't let these negative notions in your mind overtake you to where you're debilitated and you're not doing anything for God. You can't do that. 
You just can't let that happen. And I think today we're going to see a similar emphasis in our passage. Like the negative self-talk's got to go. It's just not good as it relates to the kingdom of God, the church of God, the assembly of God, the church. We need to let that go, especially as it relates to being used by God, used for God in service. Sometimes those messages that we allow in our brains get us disqualified and we're sitting on the sidelines because of those messages and that's not helpful. And so today we'll look at what self-talk do I need to steer clear of? And how will this affect my service to God? How do my insecurities affect the perceptions I have of myself and the perceptions I have of others? What slogans do I need to eliminate from my vocabulary in my mind, maybe that nobody's ever heard, but that I regularly mentally notate? And how will this affect my thoughts of myself and others? For that, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. I encourage you, open your Bibles. If you have the same exact Bible as I do, it's page 1075. That's rather impossible. That's an ADD moment. But anyway, the point is, get your Bible open. And if you have a phone, open it up. If you're online right now, open up a new window and get to the passage. Hopefully you have a program you can notate, you can, you can highlight, you can be there with this and dive in and saturate yourself in the scriptures. And we're all about the word of God. We're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. And the overarching question today, I'll be on the screen. It says, what are some negative slogans that I must eliminate from my mind or from my self-talk? What are some negative slogans that must be eliminated from our self-talk? The self-talk in your mind that tells you that you're not worthy or you're inferior or you're superior. What are some of these negative slogans that need to go? The first one we're going to look at is you can't say I'm inferior. Like the inferiority complex has got to go. It's got to leave your mindset. I am not in fear. I cannot allow myself to feel that I'm inferior because that'll be a debilitating thought from the enemy to get me to not serve God. We're going to see that in verses 12 through 20. Let's look at it together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, the, for in one spirit we were baptized, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one the same spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, there goes the inferiority complex. That would not make it any less a part of the body, would it? And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Again, inferiority complex. That would not make it any less a part of the body, would it? If the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. What are some negative uh, slogans that must be eliminated from our self-talk? The first one is, you got to get out of saying you're inferior. you got to get out of the inferiority mindset and inferiority complex. He starts off by saying, everybody is equal in the family of God. Everybody is equal in the family of God. We all 
came the same way, and therefore we're all equal. No matter if there's different responsibilities and different roles and different gifts and different ministries, everybody's equal because we all came the same way. We were all baptized into the body of Christ, and therefore we are all equal. What he's talking about here is the baptism of the Spirit, which happens when a believer places faith in Christ for the first time. I'm going to put my trust and hope in Jesus Christ, his work on the cross for my salvation. Once you do that, the Spirit of God indwells you according to the Spirit. He's now residing inside of you. You have been baptized by the Spirit. Uh, you are now a believer. You've gone from death to life. There's a transformation that has happened. There's been a spiritual renewal that's happened to where it would say you were dead spiritually, but you've been transformed to alive spiritually. You were blind spiritually, but God's transformed that and, and take the blinders off your eyes so you can see spiritually. That happens because God does that work in us. All of us who are believers in Christ came the same way. God had to open our eyes. God had to take us from death to life. And therefore, we were baptized into Christ by, via, by means of the Spirit. And we are all equal because of it. Nobody's higher, nobody's lower. No matter whether you see me on the stage or you're on the seat. Everybody's equal because we all came the same way. Now, interestingly enough, the word baptize is not an English word. It's a Greek word. Baptizo is, is, is the Greek. We didn't want to translate it because we were scared that we would offend too many people and we couldn't sell Bibles. And so some people baptize by pouring. Some people baptize by sprinkling. Some people baptize by immersing, right? And, but the word literally just means immerse, to immerse, to take a towel and immerse it underwater. Take a, take a sponge and immerse it so it's completely saturated with that's what the word means. And so what he's saying here is all of us, just as when we came to faith, put our faith in Christ, we were baptized into Christ, and then after we're, after we're baptized into Christ, we do this symbol of water baptism where we're saying, I'm identifying myself with Jesus Christ, just like he went into the earth and rose again to new life. I have died to my old self, and I'm rising again to new life. That's a symbol of what's already happened to me because of baptismal regeneration, which happens at conversion. Just as you've been immersed in water, so have you been fully immersed in salvation into the body of Christ. You're fully immersed in Christ. There's, there's, there's no higher or lower Christians. There, there isn't lesser Christians. No one gets there on their own. God, here I am. You're lucky to have me. No one gets there like that. Everybody needs a boost. You, guys, you ever jump fences when you were kids? And you, hey, give me a boost so you can jump the fence. Is that just hood stuff? Anyway, everybody needed a boost to get to God. Here's God up here. Here's me down here. I can't get there. No one can get there. We all need a boost. That boost is Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of us come equally to the fold in the family of God. And he goes in detail, and it's very specific about that in verse 13. Maybe we can put it back on the screen for a second. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the same spirit. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're ethnically this or, or, or whatever background. I have a past or, or, or I'm rich, I'm poor, sexual, social economic, economic family origins, a social strata. It doesn't matter. All of us came the same way through Christ and Christ alone. Not on our own accord. And so therefore, everybody who comes into the fold is equal. There are no higher or lower Christians. There are, is either Christian or not Christian. In the family of God, everybody is equal. He's making, going through great pains to explain that. 
And the reason is because he is, as we talked about two weeks ago, uh, the, the, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are all gifting, involved in gifts that are given to the church. He's giving you abilities, supernatural abilities, giving you a way to function within this body. And if all of us are functioning appropriately, the body functions really well. And in the midst of all those functions and all those gifts and all those responsibilities and ministries, there's a great diversity, meaning I'm going to have a different one than you're going to have, and you're going to have a different one than I'm going to have. And very easily you could say, oh, he's up there and he's on the lights and they put him on the screen, and so he's better than me. You can't do that. Just because I'm functioning within the gift that God gave me doesn't mean that I'm not amazed at your gift. People who have mercy gifts, just, I mean, they can bring me to tears. I, just, I, I wish I had it. I don't, but I, I'm amazed. It's so, it seems like such the quality of God when I watch you do what you do because the mercy gift that God's given you. It's flabbergasting to me. And so the question isn't to say, I'm comparing myself to this person, this person, that person. No, no, no. What has God gifted me to do? And just because of the diversity of gifts in the body doesn't negate the necessity of every member. This is where he starts saying, the foot shouldn't say that since I'm not the hand, I'm not a part of the body. That's the inferiority complex. If I had his gift, then I could really be used by God. The ear shouldn't say, since I'm not the eye, I'm not really a part of the body. Back to the inferiority complex. I'm comparing what God gave me to what God gave you as if there's a competition. God gave you to function within what he gave you, not what he gave me. The comparison piece that goes through our minds, by the way, all of us, happens to me as well, is not helpful. Whenever I'm comparing myself to you or you're comparing yourself to them, it's not helpful. We need to eliminate that mindset. Why? Because every member is essential. And when you're comparing one to another, I'm better, you're not, he's higher, he's lower. What you're saying is that somehow one gift is less essential than the other. And that's not the truth according to scriptures. God did it this way. He's the one who orchestrated it, and he wanted it this way. You might say as a right-handed person, hey, I use my right hand for everything. So I don't know, you know what my left hand is, how I utilize my left hand. I really lean on my right hand for everything. Well, try, try chopping off your left hand, and I bet you'll notice. I bet you use it for something. I bet you'll notice real quick how much you rely on that left hand. Every piece is essential. And he goes out of his way in verse 18 to say something very specifically. I want to put that back on the screen as well. But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, by the way, that's emphatic. He arranged each member of the body. And then emphatically, by the way, each one of them as who chose? As who chose? I'm hungry. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. God has placed each member, each uh, uh, member of the body, speaking figuratively here or metaphorically here, I'm the one who's arranged this body of Christ, just like we have bodies with a heart and an eye and a mouth and all, the, all these parts. You are a part of a body. I've arranged it. I made you the toe or I made you the mouth or I made you the eyes. Uh, I've done all that and I've done it for myself. I have placed each member of the body for myself. It's written in the middle voice. And so you could say it this way. God has placed each member in the body, specifically where you're at, for himself so he can be given glory, so you can be used by God for your given purpose within the glory of God. Like that was all intentional. He did it for himself. So that is to say this. If you are 
working on an inferiority complex, you're really taking on an argument with God. Like, God, you didn't make me like him or you didn't make me like her, so I can't function that way, and if I could function like them, then I really would function for you, and, and, and I don't believe that I'm good enough, and so I'm not going to do anything. You're really taking up an argument with God, and I want to tell you something. Whenever you argue with God, you always lose. Like everyone, every time, it's like 100% of the time, if you argue with God, you will lose. He's God. You're not. He's fine. You're finite, he's infinite, omnipresent, all those things, you will lose. You're taking up an argument with God when you allow yourself, allow the enemy to dictate to your mind that you are inferior and cannot be used by him for a certain sudden, sudden reason. The negative self-talk's got to go. And how many know that negative self-talk isn't only about inferiority? Sometimes a negative self-talk can bring you a place of superiority. Well, I mean, I'm not everything, but I'm better than that person over there. And that's another, flip the coin on the other side, and that's another problem. What are some negative slogans that must be eliminated in our self-talk? Number one is you can't say I am inferior. Number two is you can't say you are inferior. I'm not allowed to say you are inferior because I'm on the stage and you're not. Because I'm under lights and you're not. I'm not allowed to do that. It's incorrect. It's not theological. It's not, not, the, way, not the way the body of Christ works. We're going to see that in verses 21 through 26. It says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I don't need you. You're not needed in the body because you don't have a function that's useful. Nor again can the head set defeat, I don't need you. Superiority complex. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that, that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor upon. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, that lacked it, that there may be no division, no, uh, no schism, no schismata in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. doesn't matter if you're a fingernail or the heart. You might think that one's more important than the other. Same care in the body. So that if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If another member is honored, we all rejoice together. What are some negative slogans that need to be eliminated from our self-talk? You can't say that you are inferior. I can't go out of my way and say, well, because of what I, how God's wrung me and, and wired me, that means that you're lesser. You can't do that. It's the opposite of what is expected in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, in the assembly of God's folks together. There's a diversity of responsibility, roles, giftings, and yet it shouldn't lead to an inferiority complex, and it shouldn't lead to a superiority complex either. This is probably a direct blow to the Corinthian church. Now, you got to remember, if you remember the series, they have like this climb up the ladder kind of mindset. It's kind of almost similar to, to our Western culture today. We climb up the ladder. We're going to get up higher socially. We're going to raise our resume. We're going to raise our economics. We're going we're to raise our status. And he's saying to them, within all these little rungs you have, I'm a freedman, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen, I'm a, I, I'm a slave, or, or, or I bought my, just bought myself out of slavery, so I'm a poor freedman. All those different stratas that you have don't matter in the church. And some of you are thinking that now you understand that God gives people in the church, well, I want the good gift. Give me the good one. Because I gotta be up here with everything in life. I gotta be up here financially. I gotta be up here with my resume. I gotta be up here with my career. I gotta have the nicer car. All these things up here. And I want the best gift in the church too. 
And he's saying, you guys have missed the boat on that. Your elitism on every facet of life, whether social, cultural, economic, stratospheres, uh, th- that's not how the body of Christ works. In fact, this is the problem in chapter 10 where they were, the rich folk were having uh, communion before the poor folk came. There was no food left to have communion. And they're like, well, that just makes sense because we're the elite and you're not. That was the whole problem. Saying, no, you cannot have a superiority complex. You can't because God ordained the diversity And so therefore, nobody is superior because he's the one who chose it. You can't think to yourself that you're better than somebody else. He's the one who gave this to you. Anytime you get to that place in your mind where you're better than or you're struggling with how I'm better than or the comparison between me and someone else and I'm better because of, just understand that we all deal with this at some level or another. Some of us vocalize it more than others and we shouldn't. Some of us don't vocalize it, but it still goes on in our minds if we're honest. Whenever you're getting to that better than understanding in your mind, you got to understand you're crossing over to a new landscape of shaky ground. If better than comes to mind, you're on a new landscape of shaky ground. I'll tell you why. Because it flies in the face of our gospel message. It's the opposite of our gospel ideology that says that no one reaches God on his own. No one's good enough. We all need a boost. Right? We all need Jesus Christ. We all came to the fold because of Jesus opening our eyes. So as soon as you start saying, I'm better than someone else, you're, you're flying in the face of the very ideology that makes you presentable to God. It's like this. We can have one of two perspectives. One is a horizontal perspective. And in this horizontal perspective, well, I'm taller than you over there, and I'm better looking than you, and I'm stronger than you. Or we can have a vertical perspective and go, oh, I'm not anywhere close to him. I'm not better, better in any way. And that appropriately places you down low. And what we're doing when we're saying we're better than is we're taking this horizontal perspective and comparing each to each other. But if we take the comparison and go from here to here, it's a completely different story. The challenge for us is to stop being horizontal in our perspective and start being vertical in our perspective. And if you can accomplish that, you will have no problems with any kind of better than ideologies in your mind. You know, um, five years ago, when I came to this church, I asked the elders, if you're gonna hire me, I'd like to have 12 weekends off a year. And there was two reasons for that. One, one reason is because I study so hard, I didn't want to burn out. I, I, I um, you know, I'll translate from New Testament. I'll read upwards of 200 pages of commentary notes a week. It's literally like putting together a midterm presentation every week, the way I do it. Not everybody's like this. I'm weird that way. Um, and so I didn't want to burn out. Uh, sometimes I will read books knowing that in a couple of years I'm going to be, in fact, this series, when we get to chapter 14, I probably read 10 books just so I can make sure that I know um, five to 10 books on being clear on what chapter 14 says. And I did that years ago in preparation for this series that I knew we were gonna do in the future. So when you're doing that, you're like, you, you don't wanna burn out. And so you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta pace myself. And secondly, I told the elders, like, you know, I really have a heart to develop others. Like, I want to develop other people. I want to use our youth ministry so we can develop those pastors. I was the youth pastor at Valley Bible Church that would get up on the stage and that you could feel the collective sigh in the room. Oh, Pastor Phil's not preaching today. Really? Ah, oh, the one time I come this month and Pastor Phil's not preaching. 
And then I get up there and, and, and learn my chops on how to speak, you know. Then I went to, to Compass Church in Arizona. I'm not Tim Jacobs. And, you know, and, but those places and those people gave me the, the, the encouragement to keep on trying and develop and develop. And then who knew that God would have me here? And so I want to be a part of the, the glory of the kingdom of God, not developing my own kingdom, but the kingdom of God. There may be a day Zach comes on and, you know, five years from now, who knows? We might have to send him out to a church because he's just like, I'm ready to go. I got to go. And that'd be awesome. Awesome, and then we get somebody new and we would develop them. And there's no superiority inferiority complex with me. Like Zach's bringing it. He's doing a great job and he's developing each time. You watch by the end of two years what we're going to have because we allow him. It's not higher and it's not lower. This is on the contrary, the weaker, the, the less prominent, the Less presentable parts of the body are advocated for. I want to go back to verse 22. Maybe we can put that on the screen. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow bestow greater honor upon. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Let's stop right there. What in the world is he talking about? The weaker part, he's using the natural body now as an illustration of what he's going to make a correlation to in the body of Christ, okay? In the natural body, there's some weaker parts of the body. Uh, these would be things that the body is naturally protectant about. Like your eyes are very, very fragile. You ever notice how you blink really fast before somebody hits your eye? It's like it's protected because it's such a fragile uh, part of the body. Your heart is very fragile. Do you ever notice that there's a rib cage around your heart to protect it? That's what he's talking about. The weaker parts of the body are delicate, like an eye or the heart. They are protected. And so in the church, the body of Christ, the weaker parts are protected as well. And then there's these less honorable parts. These are like the parts that would be like in the natural body, more insignificant, less notable, less noteworthy. Think of fingernails. Think of a kidney. I don't need a kidney. I don't even know what it is. I don't know what it does. Try losing one and see if you need it. Try losing two. And you die. (laughs) Anyway, you need your kidneys is the idea. The less honorable parts, the ones that seem more insignificant, um, they they are the ones that are cherished. In the church, we prop those parts up in the body. The unpresentable parts. Now, this is undoubtedly talking about the organs in our natural body that are unpresentable. Another way to translate would be uh, unmentionable. And the reason they're unmentionable is there's the sexual organs. He's talking about, think what we do with the sexual organs. We, 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 we deal with them with modesty. Culture after culture, century after century, we've found a way to cover these vulnerable areas and make sure that they are presentable in all modesty. Only when a culture goes fully depraved do you find like uh, that not being the case. But the norm in, in hu- human history has been that you find ways to to present these in a wholesome way, cover them up, protect them from, protect these vulnerable organs. Saying the same thing is in the church. When I was in junior high, joined the baseball team and, and the coach said, wear a cup because you gotta protect the family jewels. We find ways to protect these things. And what he's saying is, just because there's a noteworthy gift in the church, just because there's a noteworthy responsibility in the church, doesn't mean that that's the end-all gift. Just because I'm on the stage and the lights are on me and we're on, you know, uh, online right now, doesn't mean that you don't have something that's valuable to bring. And it's my job to make sure that I prop you up and say, that's important. And maybe less recognizable, maybe less noteworthy, maybe 
maybe you think it's less significant, but it's important. We need it or the body can't function. Just like you can't function without two kidneys. You need it. And why does he do it this way? He's very clear in verse 25 that there would be no division, no schismata, no schism in the body of Christ, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This is so huge. No matter what role you play, no matter what responsibility you have, no matter what gift you have, uh, you care for each and every member of the body. I'm not sure what my toes do, but if you chopped them off, I think I'd be like, oh, that hurts. We care for each and every individual part because they're equal in the body of Christ. Have the same concern. So much that you can say in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. By the way, can I challenge you on that? Is there anybody in, that's not in your immediate family that you could say that's true of? Like, not in your immediate family, in the family of God, that you can say, when you suffer, I suffer with you. When you're down in the dumps, I'm in the down in the dumps with you. When you're honored and promoted, I rejoice with you. Somebody who's not your immediate family. When you're suffering, I'm there with you. I feel it with you. When you weep, I weep with you. Somebody outside of your immediate family that you could say that's true of. That is supposed to be the family of God. That's what we call it, talk about going family deep. This is why we make such a big deal about growth groups and getting in a growth group so your name can be known, so your need can be known. So somebody can be there with you, go family deep and say, when you're in the dumps, when you lose your job, I'm praying with you. When your kid's on making bad choices, I'm praying for that. And then when, when your kid returns and we see it, we rejoice over that because we've been praying for it for years. Family deep. Is there anybody outside of your immediate family that you could say that's true about? There is, um, there is a family in our community lost their daughter last year, 17-year-old girl who was an issue of uh, distracted driving, flipped the car over, lost their baby way too soon. Had an opportunity last year to kind of minister to the family was a part of the memorial. Um, this church is sending flowers this month to mark the anniversary of the daughter's passing to the family, to mom and dad. We have it in mind to send them flowers on her birthday in June. And recently they're going to do a golf tournament in her honor. They're trying to develop a scholarship fund for other girls who want to go in the direction that she wanted to go, kind of a way to have her influence live on. Um, I hope you guys would be a part of it. If you're, if you're a golfer, please go to that golf tournament and support this family. Our elders said, you know what, we're going to sponsor a tee. One of the tees on the 18-hole golf course, it'll say CAMCC on it. And we gave $500. Why would you do all that? Because when you suffer, we suffer with you. When you suffer, we suffer with you. You're not in this on your own. Another wonderful lady this church, been a pillar of this church for probably 20 years. Just buried her daughter last month. Way too early, 28 years old. Medical complications and whatnot. 
And I don't usually do this, but I had uh, this particular person who's been in my growth group for years, and I had spousal approval. My wife approved of this. Uh, take her on uh, pie dates to Marie Callender's, and we just go there and we eat a piece of pie. In fact, one of you guys saw us there and bought her a pie. And um, had I known that, I would have bought all the pies and brought them home. <laughs> Next time, tell me before we talk. Claudia, you want to be distracted right now? We can distract you. You want to talk about theology? Let's talk. She's a theologian. We can talk about theology. Do you want to reminisce? Let's reminisce. You want to cry? Let's cry. Why would you do that? Because when you suffer, we suffer with you. We feel it with you. You're not alone in this. There's 500 people in this church. I wish I knew about everybody's situation. I wish I was like omnipresent to be able to be present in everybody like that. I can't do that. I just hope that people jump in a group and they have people around them that really care for them. In all equality, care for them. I do for one which I wish, that which I wish I could do for a thousand. But why? Because there's something about the body of Christ where when you suffer, I'm supposed to suffer. When you rejoice, I'm supposed to rejoice. And yet we can't do that if we don't sign up for it. Like, I'm here, here's my name, here's my need. And I'm glad you're here because I'm praying for you by name and by your need. But if, if we just don't sign up for it, we don't, we don't get that. And that's not the full idea of the family deep that we see in the scriptures. Well, Paul is trying to communicate to the body of Christ that there should be never a place for inferiority complexes nor superiority complexes. Everybody is needed. Everyone is needed. No matter how high or low you think you are wrong or wired to be. In fact, that brings me to the big idea. Don't minimize how God has wired you. Just utilize it. Like we could say it this way. Stop minimizing the way God has wired you. Just utilize it. Like own it and run towards it. Like, I have ADD, great. How do I leverage that for the kingdom of God? It's not about what I don't have, it's about what I do have that I can bring into the fold for the glory of God. Stop comparing yourself and your impact to the impact of others. God's not worried about that. He's just worried about what he's gifted you to do and to use it for his glory. Don't minimize how God has wired you. Just utilize it. Nothing like a sports illustration to tie a bow on this whole thing. Many of you guys know that I uh, season ticket holder for the San Francisco 49ers. Been so for about 14 years now. When I was a kid, they were like, you know, Joe Montana and then, and then, and then Steve Young. And, and, you know, there's a 15-year waiting list for season ticket holders. I'm like, man, I'll never get in that stadium. Then all of a sudden, I came back from college and seminary. Like, we suck so bad, we need anybody who wants tickets. And I'm like, sign me up. I'll take two. And that term became four and then became 10 and became 25. And then all of a sudden I had a website and I was selling these tickets and I would take kids to go to the games. I was a youth pastor. I, you know, I'd go to one or two games a year. I lived in San Francisco so I can go off, you know, and I'd go for free because I'm selling all these other things and gave us the ability to give to God in ways that we were excited to do and whatnot. And in the last year at Candlestick Park, they did something different for their season ticket holders. They said, would you like to come and we'd like to schedule you before we, you know, leave Candlestick Park and before we destroy the complex, you can come and take a tour. And I'm like, sign me up. That's awesome. So we get there and there's this guy named, I think his name was Rocco. I remember it was like Rocco. Rocco's been the, the, the grounds crew manager for the last 25 to 30 years. 
Like he's the guy who turns on the water. He's the guy who mows the lawns. He's the one who paints the numbers on the on thing. He put, puts the goalposts up. And, and, uh, and I was like, this is pretty cool. So he's been around like Joe Montana, all these guys, all these. And he's sitting there. He's like, we're in the locker room. He's like, all right, guys, that locker right there, that's where Jerry Rice would get ready. I was like, stop it, right there, right there, that locker. He'd sit on the stool, and he'd, put, and he'd do his like, mental prep before the game. I remember watching him, and he'd tell us about his game prep. I'm like, well, this is crazy. And he'd put his socks on a certain way, and at the same time, same way every, every time, every game. And then over there was Roger Craig. And then, and then Ronnie Lott and the defensive guys, they were on that side over there, and he'd tell us all these things in detail. And, and he goes, Joe Montana was over there, and Steve Young was way over there because they respected each other, but they hated each other. That's hilarious. Anyway, if you were a 49er fan, you know. And, and so uh, he's going through all these different things. And then he goes, Bill Walsh, this is the spot right here. You know that iconic picture where he stands on the stool and he's giving a speech to the whole team. And he gets right here, right here. And as he's talking about it, he starts crying. Rocco starts crying, right? My, like my presence. Like, he starts crying. He's, he gets, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Every time. This happens every time. We're, we're just we're just. So privileged to be part of such a great legacy. And I was like, Rocco, you turn on the sprinklers, dude. Where's the we? <laughs> like, 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 you didn't catch a touchdown? You're not, you know, you didn't get, you know, you've never been injured for the team. Like, you, you, you spray paint the four and the zero on the 40-yard line. You, you spray paint the SF in the middle of the field, the 49ers. That, I mean, we are part of a great legacy. I'm like, come on, man, you're taking this a little serious. I mean, I mean, I love the Niners. So I'm not going to cry I'm like a girl. Um, hey, guys, cry too. Watch our messages. You'll, you'll see them. Um, and I got to thinking, I'm not sure that anybody in that stadium who would go to a game on Sunday know who's Rocco was. But I bet you the owners did. You're that passionate about your job, that passionate about the organization you work for. I bet you the owners knew him. And I bet you the players knew about him too. Guy that made sure that the ground wasn't too wet, so wasn't so slippery that they would get injured, wasn't too dry and too hard, so when they hit, they didn't get injured. Made sure there weren't any potholes in the field so that on a contract year, they don't get injured when they need to perform. I bet you they knew who he was. All he did was turn on the sprinklers. I tell you, there's no job too small. No job too small. You know, I was hanging out with one of our elders last week. He and I went to a church in Santa Clarita. Albert Moeller was speaking there, and so we drove there an hour there, an hour back. And, and he was saying to me, I'm so glad, David, that you're preaching and presenting that if you don't have a stage-like gift or a stage gift or a payroll gift, that there's still significance to what you bring to the church and to God. He said, he said specifically, you said that there's behind-the-scenes gifts, Dave, and I'm just so thankful that you mentioned that. In all humility, he said, because that's what I have. I have a behind-the-scenes gift. You don't want me on the stage. You don't want me on the microphone. I can't do all that. But I can do stuff behind the scenes, and he does. He gets here early on Sundays, makes everything presentable, engages our welcome teams, encourages them, picks up anything that needs last-minute attention. He's incredible. But I won't forget that moment when he looked at me and he, in humility but humiliation and brought his head down. He said, that's what I got. All I have is a behind-the-scenes gift. 
And it's so interesting to me how perspective is everything because as soon as he said that, I thought to myself, and you will be rewarded in heaven for what you do in secret more so than what I do on the stage under these lights. You know why? Because Matthew chapter 19 and verse 30 says, the last will be first and the first shall be what? You see, we all focus on the greatness we see on the stage while God is focusing on the greatness that he sees in you, in you, in you. Don't minimize how God has wired you. Just utilize it. Utilize it. Take a couple seconds to tell you this. Kenny told me in the last month we've had 50 kids in the nursery average last month. And uh, he said, I went back and did the roles, look back 25 years, we've never had that in 25 years. What does that mean? It means a lot of you guys were staying busy during, during the pandemic. Some of you guys have two COVID babies. I've, I've learned. You know what it means? It means that young families are coming to our church. Thankfully, Elaine has all these, like a line of people who wants to hug babies and pray over them. But we were seeing the same influx in K through third, and we have big needs there. There's an opportunity for you to be involved with children. And, and some of you have this gifting to tell kids these stories about God, and it lights up their minds. They, they see it. I, I don't know how you would do it. I can't talk on that level, but you're so prolific at it. Why don't you use your gift for the glory of God? I'll never forget, Audrey was going into second grade, Bernie Lightfoot, she's still there to this day. She said, I have three goals for this year, for them to understand sin, for them to understand that they're sinners, and for them to understand they need a savior. And I'm like, wow, Bernie, that's a lot for a second grader. And Audrey came home by the end of the year saying, mom, dad, but you don't understand, I'm a sinner. You could see the anguish on her face. No, not only is there sin, but I'm a sinner first time in her life we were seeing conviction of the Lord in her heart. God was using Bernie Lightfoot. Can I tell you something? There's nothing more powerful that goes on in this campus than what happens in that second grade room. Why don't you use your gift for the Lord? Some of you guys are great instrumentalists and you think, well, there's people on the stage, they have enough, they don't need any more. I'm not good enough. Well, are you willing to work hard? Maybe we can bring you up in our youth. We, we need musical help in you. We could bring you up. We need to get stack the bench so we get more people involved. Absolutely. Hospitality, welcome teams, decimated during COVID, decimated. We're seeing more people come to church in the last month than we have in two years. Maybe it's time. And by the way, my generation and younger, 45 and younger, when are we going to take the baton and say, you know what, it doesn't have to be that same legacy crowd that's been doing it for 20 years. We want to step up and we want to welcome people. They say the most important thing for people to come to church is to see a smiling face. We're welcome here. We're so glad you're here, but we're late. Oh, don't worry. We understand. We've all had kids who throw up on the way to church. We're just glad you're here. You made it. Some of you are gifted that way. It's hard to be around you without smiling because God's brung you that way. He's wired, why not use it for the glory of God? Growth group leaders, facilitators, pantry workers, Awana volunteers, prayer ministry. Somebody have the gift of prayer? You want to start a prayer ministry on Saturday? I'd love to see this church being prayed over on Saturdays. Don't minimize how God has wired you. Just utilize it. I'm as ADD as they come, but I'm a high-functioning baby. Utilize utilize it. Let's pray together. Father, I am trying to inspire your people. 
I'm trying to inspire that person in the room who feels like they don't measure up. I'm trying to inspire that person. I'm praying that your spirit will woo in their soul and say, you are not inferior. This is not a, 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 a slapstick, we don't need kind of a gift. We do need you. The body doesn't function right unless you're functioning with us. I'm trying to inspire that, but I need your spirit of God to move in people's hearts. The, the way you have wired them, the way you've geared them, the way you've supernaturally facilitated them that can be used for your glory. And the body doesn't function correctly until they're utilizing it. I pray that you would do it. I pray that we see the effects in our church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. All right, Pastor David kind of threw down a challenge there at the end to get involved in ministry and serving. If you're interested in doing that or you feel called to take this step towards God, you can just um, let us know. We have people who'd love to help direct you and kind of figure that out. We may not figure it out the first time. Sometimes it takes experimentation. You may try children's ministry and find out you don't like kids, right? Or something that's me. I don't want to, I don't want children's ministry. I used to be a youth pastor. I love working with youth, not with children. I mean, there's nuances to this thing and sometimes it just takes trying to find that out. Um, but we'll walk that journey with you if you're interested. You can go on our website, campcc.net, um, click on next steps and fill out the form and we'll get back to you. Or if you're here in person, go to the welcome counter on the way out. We'd love to help direct you towards what ministry God has for you. Um, if you're here and you don't know the Lord and you're ready to take a step towards Jesus Christ, um, David said earlier, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus the exact same way. We're sinners. We need a Savior. If you're ready to accept Jesus' offer to forgive you and to become your Savior, um, let us know that too, either online or at the counter, so that we can be part of that uh, walk towards Jesus with you. All right, we're going to receive the offering. We do that online. There's three ways to give. You can see that on the screen. Um, this is one way we worship God. Thank you for your generosity. I really appreciate this church that... Uh, your gifts support the ministry here and, the, and throughout the world. We have missionaries all over the place. We just sent a bunch of money last week to a minister in Romania that's working with Ukrainian uh, refugees. The church ponied up some money and you guys ponied up some money. We were able to send a bunch out that way. Um, and there's still an opportunity to be part of that if you want to. Um, next week's an important date. We're voting on the budget. That's going to be a, via online. You'll get emailed a link. Um, and you just have till Monday at noon to click on that next Sunday. So if you haven't got the information packet on the vote, there's um, those are on the welcome counter as well. Well, before you go, check out this video, what's coming up next. Cam CC, I'm Meredith Hurtado, and besides being Pastor Dave's better half, I am the new food pantry manager and want to thank you for all your support with February's initiative. Every week, we're serving at least 120 families. So thank you, thank you. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We want to put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. Check out what's coming up next. March 19th, fourth and fifth grade Nerf War, 6 to 8 p.m. Calling all the fourth and fifth graders. Join us for an epic and action-packed Nerf War, if you dare. Invite some friends to join you. We will also have surprise games as well. So bring your A game if you think you have what it takes to win the Nerf War. Email Colin at cancc.net for more info. April 3rd, Spring Growth Groups launch. 
check out the growth group table on the patio or go to camcc.net slash groups. Signups begin March 20th. If you're looking for a way to connect with people in our church, this is a great way and just an eight-week commitment. Get to know a couple of families and build friendships that will extend way past the eight weeks. I would highly recommend you join one. I love my group. Try it out this go-around, because what do you have to lose? They have truly become like family. Childcare is available. For more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. April 7th, Travis Green and Israel Houghton, one night only. There's still some tickets left. Help spread the word. Who are you going to invite? Enjoy two of the top gospel artists of all time. You grab your tickets in the lobby. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. Family Camp, stay chill in Santa Barbara, May 27th to the 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th to the 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th to the 8th. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CanCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to CanCC.net. Would you please stand with me for the send-off? Thank you guys so much for being here online and everyone up here on the balcony, on the patio. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Megan Terryberry, and I'm one of the worship leaders here at CamCC. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for this awesome message about our spiritual gifts and how we can be behind the scenes and still serving and working. And we really want you guys here. We want you guys to be plugged in at a growth group and a service with our food pantry, the young adult group. There's so many ways for you guys to get connected. We have a three-step guest process a Starbucks card, a thermos, and then a really cool guest dessert that we would love to see you at. So stay connected. We're so glad that you're here. Have a great week.